Hello and welcome to the On-Call Consults in Less Than 10 Minute series on ENT in a Nutshell, a compliment to Headmere's online survival guide. I'm your host, Will Dattar, and today we are joined by Dr. Greg Dion, a fellowship-trained laryngologist. In this episode, we will cover angioedema. Let's jump right in. Angioedema, or swelling underneath the skin or mucosa from extravasation of intravascular fluid, can present with rapidly progressive swelling with resultant airway compromise. The underlying etiology may be inherited or acquired C1 esterase inhibitor deficiency, a drug or allergic reaction, or idiopathic. Swelling most often involves the face, lips, and tongue, but may also affect distant sites such as the genitals or bowels with sudden cramping abdominal pain, a possible presenting symptom. The responsible biochemical pathway may be classified as histaminergic, which are much more common, or bradykinin-mediated. Understanding these separate pathways is important due to the differences in the treatment algorithms and expected treatment response. The primary role of the otolaryngologist in managing angioedema involves airway management upon presentation and throughout the medical treatment. Dr. Dion, can you give us a differential diagnosis for angioedema? Absolutely will. So most commonly, we think of angioedema as the patient who just started taking an uh, ACE inhibitor, but the differential is actually quite large. It includes contact dermatitis, chelitis, granulomatosa, systemic capillary leak syndrome, epiglottitis, urticaria, idiopathic edema, hypothyroidism, superior vena cava syndrome, anaphylaxis, insect bites, um, other issues such as subcutaneous emphysema, cluster headache, Quinky's disease, Lemier's disease, generalized cellulitis or dermatomyositis as well. So uh, all those could cause angioedema. So what are some key supplies that you would recommend bringing to these consults? Anytime you're going to a consult for potential angioedema, you're going to want to make sure you have appropriate PPE to include a a face mask, eye pro, uh, gloves and gown, a headlight is a key piece of uh, equipment you want. And then you're going to want a topical anesthetic and decongestant nasal spray, such as like lidocaine, oxymetazoline. You're going to want a flexible uh, endoscope, preferably video endoscopy um, to create a recording, some anti-fog for that. And then make sure you have equipment for fiber optic bronchoscope for awake intubation and the airway cart nearby. And can you describe your initial airway evaluation? Yeah, so you're going to see or you're going to want to see all consultations for suspected angioedema immediately as this can progress rapidly to airway compromise. So while talking to the consulting team, you're going to recommend placement of the IV, you know, uh, nasal cannula oxygen, put the patient on tele. Uh, they're going to be NPO and, you know, as I said before, getting um, the airway cart, cart nearby and suggesting uh, steroids and antihistamines. So number one in your evaluation, airway evaluation takes precedence. So um, things you want to think about in terms of signs of impending airway would be muscle voice, in, inability to complete full sentences, lip tongue or oral cavity edema, uh, strider sturda or distress, anxiety, disorientation, tachypnea, like noticing retractions or cyanosis or the patient in a tripoding position. Um, And finally, if they're having trouble managing their secretions. So if the patient is in airway distress, what steps would you take immediately for management? So first thing you're going to do is call for help. Um, So that means notifying your senior resident and or attending uh, calling anesthesia in the OR to get that mobilized. Um, and that might be having a nurse do that for you while you're uh, making sure you're getting help obtaining the necessary ad- airway adjuncts to help uh, for uh, intubation or emergent surgical airway. So 
things to start off right away is consider start with oxygen via nasal cannula, put a nasal trumpet potentially in, a face mask, a non-rebreather. You could try Heliox. And if, if you have Thrive available, which is transnasal humidified rapid insufflation ventilatory exchange available, that's a great way to pre-oxygenate the patient. Um, so if the patient's in significant def- distress, you're going to want to defer nasopharyngoscopy at that point until you get to the operating room. Um, but in most, almost all cases, you can do fiber optic airway evaluation in, in the ED, um, preferably with a video. And then ideally, you're going to secure the airway in the operating room. And ideally, that would be by, um, you know, video bronchoscopic intubation. You know, however, if there's, you know, acute decompensation, awake or emergent tracheotomy but might be required. Uh, but this needs to be undertaken with extreme care because surrounding edema can s- distort the anatomy and make this very, very challenging. Now, if you're doing the airway in the OR, you could consider a direct laryngoscopy to confirm underlying etiology, but most often these patients are significantly edematous and that can be very, very challenging. Uh, and then if there's any sign of infection during this, you might want to consider, you know, alternative diagnosis such as epiglottitis or a deep neck, neck space infection. So Dr. Dion, if the patient is, is showing signs of a stable airway, how would you proceed with management? Yeah. So in the patient who doesn't have any signs to distress, you're going to want to complete uh, your usual history and physical exam. So you're going to understand the timeline, symptom progression, any preceding illnesses, and especially if there's anyone in the patient's family or their own history who's had something similar in the past. So you don't want to delay airway exam significantly for this, but it's good to uh, look back and, hey, has the patient had any ACE inhibitors, ARBs, NSAIDs, and estrogens? All those could contribute to this. And then ask about any anticoagulant use, because that might be important if you're considering uh, uh, tracheotomy. And then again, you're going to complete your head and neck exam, focusing on the airway, oral cavity, oral pharynx, and neck, um, looking at what's the mouth opening, uh, and what's the modified malapati score there for, and what's the neck range of motion for consideration of endoscopy. Um, you're going to make sure that you have airway supplies ready uh, so that you can perform uh, flexible endoscopy, preferably with a video setup, and that will let you know what you're going to be getting into in terms of how are you going to be able to intubate this patient. So what diagnostic workup do you order um, after the appropriate airway management? Yeah, by and large, these patients uh, aren't managed primarily by otolaryngologists, but once you have a stable airway, you're going to be considering uh, CBC, CMP, ESR, CRP, C1 esterase inhibitors, and C4 levels. Uh, You might consider a triptase level in terms of uh, managing that. And then for hereditary angioedema, then you might be thinking about looking at uh, C1, specifically the C1 esterase inhibitors and and C4 levels. and then for imaging, um, angioedema is a clinical diagnosis, and imaging is generally reserved for cases where you're not sure what's going on. And what medical treatments do you consider, um, kind of separating them out for histaminergic as well as bradykinin-mediated cases? Yeah, again, we don't typically primarily manage these, but I think this is an important distinction. So in histaminergic angioedema, what we see most often, IV steroids and IV H1 and H2 blockers, such as diphenhydramine and cimetidine, are like mainstays of therapy and highly effective. You're going to want to give nebulized or systemic epinephrine as needed if it's severe progressing, and then humidified oxygen, keep the head of bed elevated. Um, but the reason that it's important to consider if it's bradykinin mediated is that the effectiveness of IV steroids and the H1 and H2 blockers 
are less effective. And so in those cases, you may need to consider things such as FFP or a bradykinin receptor antagonist or a calicrine um, inhibitor. And, and so those are the reasons that that's an important consideration. And what disposition and follow-up do you recommend for these patients? So any patient that for where you're concerned for airway involvement or progression, these patients need to be admitted for observation. So if, uh, if you're concerned about the airway, the patient needs to go to the ICU. Obviously, if they get intubated, they're going to the ICU. If they're not intubated, you're not concerned about like a rapidly progressing airway, you could potentially put them in a closely monitored, uh, environment. Um, and then, uh, if there's minimal symptoms and they're already improving, you could consider a regular floor uh, less commonly. Uh, if the patient ends up in the ICU and intubated, then they should undergo extubation uh, through typical hospital-based ICU protocols. Uh, and you certainly want to consider referral to an allergist and primary care on follow-up. And in most cases, olaryngology follow-up is on an as-needed basis. Great. Thank you, Dr. Dion. So that concludes our episode on angioedema. Thanks for joining us. 